Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson. You say you want some revelation. Well, here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Mormon News Roundup, where Al and Dives ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. This week, we've got uh, episode number 13 coming your way. We have a, a, a quick uh, media joining us for the show. Uh, Mormon No More mini-series episode number one. We're going to review that, as well as we've got some interesting news about the LDS temples are starting to let the lawns go brown. Also, big news this week, Roe versus Wade versus the LDS Church. So we'll see how that all ties together. Um, so uh, today's June 26, 2022, and we've got Greg from Quick Media. He's going to join the show to help us review the first episode of Hulu's miniseries, The Mormon No More. Uh, we're going to analyze the church's controversial Juneteenth message and discuss the latest temple uh, groundbreaking in California, as well as look at potential LDS church sex abuse class action lawsuit that's been uh, going around. Um, so you can, if you uh, know anybody that needs to join up there, they can. we'll give them the instructions on how to get there. Uh, also, we're going to converse about if BYU will be banned from the NCAA for sexual orientation discrimination. So we've got some interesting things to talk about, along with uh, the big one that's on everybody's tongues this week, is we're going to analyze the impact of the U.S. Supreme Court's repeal of Roe versus Wade and how that's going to have an impact on the celestial kingdom. So, Dives, you want to introduce our guest? Hey, yes. Uh, welcome to the program, Greg. How you doing? Great. Doing great. Hey, wonderful. What is Quick Media? C-W-I-C. What is Quick Media? Well, quick, the name, it's an old English word that means alive and intelligent. Uh, I hope to bring an alive and intelligent discussion about uh, LDS culture and gospel principles. Uh, we're a faith-promoting content producer, uh, and uh, we've got about, uh, I think we're pushing 35,000 followers between all of our platforms right now. That's absolutely incredible. Now, well, you also have a website, too, which we've linked in our show notes, and you can sign up for a subscription on your website. What does that do? The subscription right there on the homepage is just for Quick Week. That's just a roundup of all things quick, what we go over, the content. Uh, I write a short article on that each week. And um, yeah, we've got that building out. I think we've got uh, several thousand uh, subscribers on that. And then what I focus on with the, with the website is two sides. One is a uh, focus on, uh, I have these things called, I call quick interpreters, which are just a way to study the scriptures and uh, hopefully understand them a little bit better, put them into context. Uh, I mix a lot of academic work with that uh, and with my own insights. And then uh, secondarily, we focus a lot on, on culture and uh, both in the church and outside of the church. Now, how long have you been putting out content? You know, I started a website in 2015. It was under the name of Mormonado. And uh, so I ended up changing that. So, But but that was pretty slow going. Uh, had some health issues at the time. And so I didn't really get to launch that very well. But a few years ago, I started a Come Follow Me series of the church runs and, and doing my own little program with that and focusing, seeing things through these interpreters that I've developed. And then secondarily, the culture side kind of really took off about a year ago when I started focusing on BYU and uh, critical race theory and, and a few other things. 
yes, absolutely. Now, I watched your video that you dropped this morning, and I, I was very, very impressed by it. I've watched a couple of your videos. Uh, extremely impressive. Honestly, my testimonial is like, Greg, you're like the best gospel doctrine teacher ever. So <laughs> anyone out there who's looking for uh, a gospel doc, if your gospel doctrine teacher is not uh, – you know, cutting the mustard. Greg, Greg has got your back because his his content is a really relatable. It's uh, really direct. It's personal. He doesn't go off on tangents. You really get to the core of the message, and it, it's just very very impressive to me. Al, do you have any questions for Greg? I'm really excited to have Greg on here because uh, it it sounds like he's exactly the kind of gospel doctrine teacher I would love to sit in his class and uh, and hear uh, all the lessons because I mean this guy he's he really pushing forward with um, the direction of, of, of where the, the gospel really lies. So uh, glad to have you on here, Greg. Appreciate it. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I could, could not give a better endorsement for your materials from what I've seen so far. Now, I would like to follow up from our previous episode of the Mormon News Roundup, episode 10. On episode 10, we actually covered the change.org uh, p- petition or uh, awareness that um, – that you actually started, Greg. You actually started this creating awareness of BYU professors radicalizing students. We actually covered that in episode ten. When did you start that petition? I was trying to look for the date on when I started that. It's probably been about four or five weeks. Oh, is that all? You got five thousand signatures in only four or five weeks? Yes. That's that's what is the purpose of the petition? Yeah, so you know, I know it's called a petition. It's not really a petition. It's more. Like, I call it an awareness document, and it's just basically. Uh, I, I'm trying to make everyone more aware of things that I find to be a little bit pernicious uh, that are going on at BYU, actually at all the schools, uh, and uh, make some of the leaders a little bit more aware maybe of, of what's going on. It's not the signatures that are really the oomph behind it, I don't think. I mean, it's something, but it's we've got uh, between the comments, and these are mostly long comments, on the petition or the awareness document, there's about 400 of those. And then I've got uh, several hundred other emails and, and uh, people that have sent me letters and things like that, that I'm compiling in there. We've got close to 700 uh, comments that'll be sent off along with this to uh, specific individuals. And, and so how has generally the response been? Has it been positive? Has it been negative? What, what is the, how can you characterize the response? Depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> Um, uh, very, very positive for, you know, people that would be interested in my programming and my content and pretty much the opposite on the other end. And, and, uh, you know, which is uh, what I'm used to, you know, I, I step into some controversial waters, um, on both sides. I would say that my, my listenership is probably pretty much along the lines of, I would say the U S church political demographic of 70, 30, 70 conservative and 30 liberal. And then everything in between and beyond on the fringes on those. And I get hit on both ends all the time on, on these things. And, and so, you know, on, on the one end, it's why am I fighting critical race theory? And, uh, you know, I can all the epithets that are thrown at me there. And on the other end, it's what are you doing? You know, the prophet didn't ask you to do this. And, and uh, you know, so it's I'm used to getting that on both sides. And it's the same reaction uh, I, I get with a petition. You know, Greg, I'm really glad that I got a chance to talk to you a little bit about this, because when you explain it as just a, a, a way to 
um, make people aware of what's going on. That makes perfect sense to me now. When I first heard about it, I thought, wow, that you know, is the is BYU uh, really going all that liberal? As a matter of fact, as we've seen recently in the news, like they just had the first, uh, they approved the first LGBTQ uh, protest on campus. Mm-hmm. So you do have a point that, yes, the church is uh, opening up uh, to some uh, liberal stances and allowing some things to go on that never would have been allowed to go on before. So I'm glad to, to finally meet you, Greg, and get a window into what's going on, because I think that uh, you're absolutely right to bring awareness to this topic. Yeah, I don't, and again, I, I don't really care about liberal, right? That's not the point of this at all. I, I am, uh, uh, I, I have told said this many times on my show before, I am, I think most universities should lean a little left. And, and what I mean by that is that there needs to be openness, there needs to be new ideas and, and uh, things that need to be brought up for critical thinking purposes. Sure, that makes sense. Students and adults coming in. Uh, I'm not really a conservative. I wouldn't call myself a conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I don't like that's going on there is the radicalizing. And this mm-hmm. is a problem. I, I get so many comments on what is happening there on the radicalizing. That's a lot different than saying I've got a liberal professor. I, 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 mm-hmm. I loved all my liberal professors at BYU. Mm-hmm. Um, this is very different, right? This is an ideology. Uh, critical social justice is something that is completely separate. It is, it is opposed to the doctrine of Christ. It is not, mm-hmm. hey, you know what, uh, you know, I'm voting for Clinton versus, you know, Romney or something. This, is, this, is, this has nothing to do with anything like that. You're right. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just ask you, Greg, what, what do you, briefly, what do you want to see from this awareness document? What would you like to see BYU Provo change if you had a magic wand? That is a very good question. There, the, the magic wand would be much greater than what's happening at BYU. Here's the problem. I get a lot of people that uh, say, Greg, because when I put these things out, I've got these montages and I, and I have a lot of insiders at, B, at, at the different campuses at BYU, a lot of sources. Um, and so they say, you know, I rarely put out a name like a professor. I rarely do that. That's not, you know, I'm not looking for a witch hunt. Um, and I get a lot of pushback on that. Bring us the names. We want the names. The problem is a scapegoat for something like this is going to do zero good for, in my estimation, you know, it's a hydra to me. Uh, I, to me, it's, you got to go with the body and you got the cutting off a head is just going to grow another one. And, 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 you know, you, you have to think about this, right? These, these are not necessarily, uh, um, bad people. Right. You got to realize yeah. these things that mm-hmm. they're they've got a, they, they're usually married. They've got kids and their husbands, their fathers. And, and so you got to take into consideration all of these things. You have to go much higher than that. To me, this is a, a battle for the mind on these ideologies. And yeah. uh, th- this is this is I, I call it the religion of academia. It's much greater than BYU. And we're going to be talking about accreditation and other things later on in the podcast. It, this is this is going to come to a head at some point at BYU where um, the forces that be through accreditation and the religion of academia are no longer going to allow BYU to fulfill its mission. And so the awareness is number one to the parents that are considering, that have kids at BYU and that are considering sending kids to BYU, um, that this is going on and, and you need to prepare your kids in a different way than you might think you are. Because you may rather send your kid to a local university or somewhere else where if you are uh, an LDS parent and you've been trying to do everything right to raise your kid in the church, 
And then all of a sudden you have an authority figure and a professor that is radicalizing them at a church sponsored university. That's a lot more damaging than it is to go, you know, anywhere else. Sure. And yeah. So the awareness is for them. It, it's for the BYU administration and it's for others that are involved in the CES programs in the church that say where I know they already have their ear to the ground to some extent. But this is just this is just, hey, I want you to hear direct from these parents and these students what what uh, what their experiences have been. Well, let me let me ask you, we've got to wrap this up on this because this is a follow up from episode 10. I, I did watch the montage, Greg, and, mm -hmm. and honestly, BYU is uh, not the first institution that really comes to mind when I think of radicalizing students in a liberal way. Oh, no, not at all. I, I don't think they are at all. They're, they're, they'd be near, more near the bottom of the list. That's not the point. This isn't comparing them to other, other uh, institutions. This is, this is comparing them. This is, this is saying, hey, you think you're sending your kid to a place where uh, the doctrine of Christ is safe and because this is church-sponsored, but you can't go in with that attitude. This is, this is something that if you think you're going in there and you don't need to protect your child or prepare them, for these radicalizing ideas. And again, I'm not talking about, you know, higher taxes or gun control or anything like that. Um, then, then you need to, you need to change your mind on how you're going to prepare these your, your kids. And you need to say, okay, cause most kids are going there with their parents' money, right? Their money, their, their parents are spent sending them there. Number one, uh, as mm -hmm. uh, under the guise of, Hey, this is a church sponsored university. And number two, they're paying, tens of thousands of dollars to do this. And it may not be what they're looking for if they're not careful. And, and wrapping this up, you also started uh, the BYU Hawaii awareness document, right, Greg? We don't have too much time to get into that, but you started that one as well, right? Uh, I started the, I start, I've gone, been going into that. I've got another episode on that coming out next week, but there's no document currently on that. Oh, okay. Well, uh, Al, do you have anything else for Greg on his uh, change.org petition? No, I, like I said, I'm just really glad that I got a chance to uh, talk with Greg a little bit and uh, to see where he's coming from. And that uh, change.org petition makes a lot more sense uh, when I look at it through the scope of raising awareness. You know, So thank you very much, Greg, for coming on and being our guest today. Absolutely. And that takes us to our first uh, featured article here, which is Roe versus Wade versus LDS. And this was a uh, this is a uh, an article that was put out by the Deseret News on June 24, 2022, and it, the title of the article is Roe versus Wade Ends. Latter-day Saint leaders urge members to protect life and preserve religious liberty. So this is an uh, they updated the church's newsroom website page right after this came out. It must have just been a couple of hours later. Uh, they updated the web page on the topic of, of abortion on the church's web page and in the gospel topics session. They changed it. Uh, they updated it as well and. This is basically what it said now. It says both pages say that the church opposes elective abortions and that church members should not, quote, submit to, perform, encourage, pay for, or arrange for an abortion. So let me ask you both, uh, how do you think that this Roe versus Wade uh, new decision, which has uh, sent back the ability to regulate abortion back to the state level, what effect do you think that this ruling is going to have, if any, on Latter-day Saints? Um, let's see. I guess I'll lead off. I, I think that, um, it probably won't, uh, have that broad of a stance with regards to, uh, where the Latter-day Saints stand. I think that the ones that, um, are in favor of abortion will probably 
be more inclined to gravitate towards states where abortion is legal still. Um, whereas those who are um, against abortion rights will probably gravitate towards states that are against it. And uh, uh, yeah, I think that people are probably still going to stay where they stand. Now, let me just cover the church's position real quick. This is right out of the handbook. So Church of Jesus Christ, I already said, uh, the first part of it, but also the church allows for possible exceptions if there's rape or incest or a physician says that the mother's life in, in jeopardy or the baby has a serious uh, 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 defects that will not allow the baby to uh, survive birth. And it says that abortion is a serious matter and should only be taken uh, under the care of a physician and also in consultation with your local church leaders. So that's the basic outline of the position. Now, what I do want to cover is that there's been added language to the church's website, which I think is significant. So the old verbiage on the church's website said, quote, the church has not favored or opposed legislative proposals or public demonstrations concerning abortion, end quote. Okay, the new verbiage on the website says, quote, the church's position on this matter remains unchanged. As states work to enact laws to, related to abortion, church members may appropriately choose to participate in efforts to protect life and preserve religious liberty, end quote. So despite the church saying, hey, our position remains unchanged, it does seem like there's some change. They said that church members can appropriately choose to participate in efforts to protect life. That was not there before. Yeah, so... It, it, you're 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 saying that they, so it's one sided obviously uh, on the on the new statement the old statement was there any statement about getting involved with these things it just says it's not favored or opposed legislative proposals or public demonstrations it seemed okay. to be somewhat ambiguous it had in the handbook it said it outlined the church's position and the handbook still has not changed but it's just the newsroom the, the verbiage on the newsroom has updated and it seems to indicate to members that to choose to participate in efforts to protect life that was a, a lot stronger than what was there before, which was virtually nothing from my reading. Am I, you know, that, yeah, that's you, from you'd my have readings. to wonder if that, that, that handbook then may be updated. Maybe it will be uh, on, on that. But uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting because there's not, there's, you, you rarely see any kind of a, any verbiage from the church about participating in anything politically. Yeah. Usually um, they take a big so step that, away. That's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Now, this is also where I would like to get a little bit controversial, and I'm glad we got Greg on the program because mm -hmm. you, you you guys rein me in if I get too far. But according <laughs> to uh, <laughs> this is why we got Greg here. He's the gospel doctrine teacher, and I'm the crazy guy in the back. So l let me just run this by you guys. You guys tell me how far off I am. According to LDS doctrine, less people are going to go to heaven because of the Supreme Court over overturned Roe <laughs> versus Wade. And I know I know that sounds crazy, but let me let me explain it. So the Supreme Court ruling will have more have more impact on the celestial kingdom than any previous ruling from on the US side. Obviously, it doesn't affect those outside of the US, but as far as in the US, this ruling will have more impact on the celestial kingdom than any other ruling prior. And I uh, to our listeners out there, okay, that's my claim, and I'm going to try to back it up. To our listeners out there, if you disagree with us, will you go over to disagree with me? This is me, not Greg and Al. <laughs> go, over to, go over to mormonnewsroundup.org or drop us an email at colob at mormonnewsroundup.org. Let us know your thoughts on whether you think that this, in, this court ruling will have more impact on the celestial kingdom than any previous ruling. So let's remember, first of all, there are three guaranteed ways to get to the celestial kingdom. Number one, get aborted. Number two, be stillborn, or number three, die before your eighth birthday. So there's three guaranteed ways. So the CDC says the U.S. has about 620,000 abortions per year. Now, that's probably a low estimate. If you look at some of these other Christian 
uh, you know, monitoring situation. Uh, Christian outfits, they'll say it's upwards to a million, but let's just take the CDC at their word. CDC also says that there's about 24,000 stillborn in the U.S. per year, and only about 10,000 USA children die before the age of eight. That number was very hard for me to get. There's not real great data on that, but it's a very low number. So if you add up the three guaranteed ways in the United States to go to the celestial kingdom, we're looking at about prior to this ruling, 650,000 people per year going straight to the celestial kingdom. Okay. Um, are you with me so far? Or <laughs> You're like, I don't know if I want to agree with that, but are you with me so far? I think the raw data is correct. Okay. That's about as close as I can get it. There's not great data for age eight. There's more. Yeah. The, the data is there's, there's cutoffs between ages one to five, then five to 14, and then 18. Age eight, I had to approximate it, but it's a pretty low number. So after this week's ruling, the abortion number in the United States is going to be cut in half. Remember, Red state versus blue states. About, about half the states are going to already have laws on the books or are going to enact trigger laws. Uh, think about the Texas law that they did a couple of months ago. That reduced abortions to like 5%. Oklahoma law, again, 5%. All these, all these red states is basically going to be practically outlawed. So about half of the amount of abortions are going to take place in the United States per year. So that's 300,000 less abortions per year. So that's 300,000 less people will go to the celestial kingdom each year in the United States. Now, okay, let's compare that. Uh, I'm going on a rant, and I'm going to have you guys chime in at the end. So let me just get to the end of this, okay? Now, how many U.S. LDS church members go to the Celestial Kingdom per year? I know. <laughs> let's dive. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try to answer that, okay? I, I'm so, gonna, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm very interested in the data on this. Okay, uh -huh. okay. <laughs> Greg's like, what did I get myself into? Okay, so there's 18 total, uh, 18 million total uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, give or take about 7 million of those in the U.S. Let's just say for, uh, uh, just say that half of them are active. It's probably a little less than that, but let's just We'll aim high and go 3.5 million active in the United States, and about 2.5 million of them have temple recommends. About three quarters of people, three quarters of USA church members have a temple recommend who are active, give or take. It's approximately 2.5 million people. Now, the death rate is about one out of 1,000. The COVID brought the death rate up a little bit, but about one out of 1,000 Mormons die per year. So if you look at that and you chop the numbers down, that's only 2,500 US LDS temple recommend holders dying annually. And let's say that 90% of those guys go to the Celestial Kingdom. If you had a temple recommend and you did all you're supposed to do, you died, we'll say that 90% of them go to heaven, okay? Go straight to the Celestial Kingdom. So that's only 2,000 people per year, okay? So contrast the three guaranteed ways, which is abortion, stillborn, dying before you're eight. That was 650,000 to 2,000 faithful members. So that's going to be cut down in half. So the amount of Mormons that are, if Al, Greg, if all of us get to the great beyond, most likely, and we all make it to the Celestial Kingdom, I, I, you know, I don't think I'm going to make it, but let's just say that we do. Okay. Most of the people that we surround ourselves with, the vast, vast majority of them are going to be abortions, stillborns, and um, uh, die before the age of eight, just according to my numbers. So I'm about ready to wrap up. If the number one goal of the plan of salvation is to return to souls to God through exaltation, then is God really sad about this ruling? Um, I would think that he'd, um, well, uh, maybe maybe he'll have, in order to get the same results as he did during the Dark Ages, he'll have to go back to the Dark Age uh, methods and you know start having um, disease and uh, 
difficult childbirths uh, take over the role that abortion was doing. Okay, Greg. Uh, yeah, your, your numbers are showing a massive net loss here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think I think I think there's probably some other elements here that come into play. You know, I think about the Ammonites and the and, and sacrificing the kids to Moloch, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, I guess you could say that that's the most righteous thing you could do under under those same circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I probably wouldn't go along with that. I, there's something here missing. I don't know what it is. But uh, I, I think there's something missing in the in the formula here. It sounds like you're saying that I'm missing something upstairs. Maybe I'm a, a couple of uh, cans short of a. Maybe I'm a can short of a. I will say a it's a very it's very interesting data actually. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's a good question. It's it's a good topic. It's okay. Uh, you, it, I'm a couple I'm a couple cans short of a six pack. Is that that sounds like the uh, it sounds like uh, the, your message. But I'm just I think about. Um, the the China you know, remember the China's one one child policy which they had mm -hmm. for so long which has been reduced. If God's great joy is you remember the doctrine of covenants I believe it's section one how great shall be your joy if you bring one soul to the kingdom of heaven I believe that's in DNC one. Wouldn't God really be happy about the China one policy because that is the most populous country in the world and it was committing the most amount of abortions per per uh, abortions per year and it still is very very high. And all of those, all of those uh, uh, fetuses are going straight to the celestial kingdom. Wouldn't God want the most uh, uh, the abortion to be as legal as possible and widespread as possible to return as many souls to Him as possible? I think the pain and suffering and the wickedness that creates something like that is probably not something He'd be real happy with. On the um, on the other end of the spectrum here, yeah, what is interesting, based on reasonable. what you're saying, is is you're what you're telling me that is if you Dives get to the celestial kingdom, you're going to have a massive advantage, because you're going to have all this mortal experience and very few people will. That's a good point. That's true. That is true. And and to take it one step further, I know you're like, okay, we got to change topics. Let me take this one step further. If this world, and I thought, I know, I thought a lot about this. If I this world, <laughs> <laughs> if this world is a pattern of what has happened on other worlds, if this world is very typical of the worlds that have taken place in times past, it is very likely that the God who rules over this world, according to LDS teachings, was an abortion. Uh, because again, dark ages through you know dark ages stillborn die before the age of eight. All none of those people you know who the north the people who are on the north Sentinelese islands today who have no uh, access to Christianity or the Mormon message and never will. It's very likely that the God who rules over this earth was either died before the age of eight or was an abortion or was a stillborn. That he didn't live on another planet and you know lived a full life, but that he fell into the categories of we're we're, what we're talking about. Because as I've demonstrated with these numbers. We, just in the United States, 600,000 per year are going to the Celestial Kingdom versus only 2,000 members. It's a 30 to 1 ratio. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but <laughs> that's, I, I, that's my summary. Okay. I, well, yeah, again, the, 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 yeah. Things I, the thing I see there is just is mortality is plays such a key role. And, 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 of course, you're getting a body, I suppose. I guess it depends on when you're aborted. But uh, the, the, the idea of mortality and facing opposition and growing and what is such a big part of, I think, growth and, and the plan of salvation, the robbing of that 
the the sin that creates the robbing of that, I think is is uh, you know, something that's pretty hard to get around. Al, do you have anything else on this one, Al? Uh, you- th- this one just kind of blew my mind. <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I'm not sure if DVS needs to get a TV and stop uh, thinking so much about this or what, but. Um, or maybe the problem is he has a TV. And it's just uh, spurred his mind into thinking way too much on this. But yeah, it's uh, if, if that's the way that um, that it's set up, and it is, if it is set up by a god who uh, came from uh, being uh, aborted, then the plan that he's laid up is really not fair. I mean, this is this is uh, on a whole new level of. You know, the boss's son who never had to hold a job all of a sudden inherits the company and is going to run the show. It's <laughs> that's what it, it rings like to me. Yeah, it could be. Of course, the other, there, there are a lot of gaps there. We wouldn't know, for example, what progress, which may be almost an infinite level that happens mm-hmm. in the next life. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Now, just, just, just summar, summarizing up this article, we you know we were hoping that the Supreme Court might ban AR-15s, and instead they banned abortions. So I guess that, I saw a tweet that pretty much sums it up for me. So I guess let's let's move along before we get too too deep off the edge here. All right, um, I'm going to jump us over to the Salt Lake Tribune uh, this last week. From let's see, this was June 18th this last week. Andy Larson did a follow up on. A uh, previous article he did where he made the claim that uh, surveys are showing that there's a a downward trend in uh, the church uh, membership. And uh, so some people called him up on it and said, well, you know, where are you getting this from? And he said, well, okay, I'm going to go and I'll get even better information. So he did a real deep dive, went and pulled several different surveys. Um, Let's see, he had... Everything from the general social survey, which has uh, been going on since 1972, and uh, in order to you know just ask people where they stand on things. Um, let's see. He also did the uh, Public Religion Research Institute's American Values Atlas survey, and uh, this one is the one that you'll see a lot across the internet with different charts um, showing uh, the major religions and the uh, smaller religions. Um, and what their membership has been like. Um, Seems like, uh, let's see, the top one that was growing, according to these guys, uh, was actually unaffiliated. Uh, So you got a lot of people out there who they may or may not be religious, but they just don't uh, ascribe to any one particular organized religion. Um, Let's see, beneath that we get into things like uh, Protestantism, Catholicism, um, and when we get over to the smaller religions, that's where we get uh, Jewish, Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, and the likes of that. And um, that one's showing that the church kind of stagnated for a while, and then there was a downward trend where it kind of slumped off at the end. Now, that might have had something to do with uh, the, the pandemic of 2020. We know for, for a fact that that affected all religions across the board. So what this guy has done is he went back and looked at these surveys going pre-2019 so that he's getting um, data that's not skewed according to whether COVID-19 stopped people from going to church or not. And what he's finding 
is that uh, across these, we've got people like the Latter-day Saints um, has always been the number one in saying how important is your religion to you. So, I mean, they're way up there on, yeah, my church is vital to me. Um, also, way high up there on how often do you attend. Latter-day Saints, on average, um, when they identify as a, a Latter-day Saint, they also identify that they're, uh, not only is their religion very important to them, but they also attend at least weekly. So very, very uh, orthodox group, the Latter-day Saints. So um, what he finds, though, is that even with all this considered, there's still a stagnation in growth in the United States and even a downward trend. So it, it does seem like the church is starting to shrink but uh, David Bednar, and uh, this was also kind of tied to that, uh, That's this is the, the article, the previous article is the one that inspired the press to question Elder Bednar about um, this downward trend and get his um, answer. His response was, well, the church has kind of cycled. Uh, when uh, In the 1830s, when the church was first organized, they had a lot of growth from people in Europe. Um, well, Europe has since kind of waned and uh, dried up as far as a, a source for baptisms. But then the United States had a, a really good heyday. South America had a really big uh, flow. It seems like currently uh, the continent of Africa is yielding the most converts. And so uh, with the, what Elder Bednar says, he's really not that surprised. He just ascribes it to, you know, uh, ebbs and flows and different cycles of church growth around the world and across different times. Yeah, thanks, Al. Hey, Greg, what do you think uh, about this article and the LDS church member stagnation? Why is LDS church members, uh, why is the, the membership stagnating, especially in the United States? Well, I mean, if I'm looking at the at the graph here that says, what is your present religion, if any, and that one's dropping off uh, as far as, a, you know, what, a public declaration of, of your religion. You see the stagnation here running from about 2015 over to about the toward what 2018 here and then it just there's a steep decline it looks like it almost starts before the pandemic here mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of interesting uh and then it's pulled back up since uh the end of the pandemic here it looks like it here well no it didn't did it it came back up even during the pandemic i, I would mm -hmm. say two things i think the pandemic certainly has something to do with this it's within that range Sure. I think the Latter-day Saints, the culture, the fellowship, the face-to-face -face is a major part of activity. Yeah. And when you remove that, uh, all of a sudden you're left alone with, hey, this is, what is my faith? And, and um, I've got no fellowship. My callings perhaps are, are no longer, I, there's nothing I can do being a Sunday school teacher. Um, you know, so a lot of that's going to fall away. So I can see how that would certainly have an impact. What is interesting, if you go through the Pew, the Pew, other Pew uh, uh, surveys on this, is you do see the drop off with the Latter Day Saints. You don't see near the drop off actually with the more orthodox churches like the Pentecostals <laughs> in the Assembly of God. Mm -hmm. um, those actually are increasing. They're one of the, yeah. the couple, couple of the few religions that actually increase in membership mm -hmm. in the downturn on Christianity, which is pretty interesting. I think as you get more and more people that are, you know, falling away from Christianity, 
people are seeing a greater contrast, right, in, in culture versus yeah. Christianity. And those that have even the greatest contrast are the mm-hmm. ones that are actually doing better. Yeah. Uh, during the, the early 2010s or to even into the mid 2010s, uh, even continuing on today, I've seen not like with uh, regards to media, there's been a lot of uh, heavily Protestant Christian movies released. Uh, things like God's Not Dead, that, that whole series, um, The Case for Christ, The War Room, uh, some of these types of movies. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and so I wonder if that's, uh, I don't know if, if, it, if it's a cause or if it's an effect of the the growth in the Protestant religions that uh, caused them to start making a lot more media. I, I yeah, think it, I think it's being mm-hmm. swallowed up in the greater media, is my guess, is they're, you know, feeling that they are, mm-hmm. that yeah. they want to get a separate message out there. Mm-hmm. They need to do a better job on the content, let's be honest. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but uh, <laughs> They don't make great uh, movies. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, the feeling is, look, there, there, there's, there, yeah. there's not much of this being produced with these types of messages. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to get something out there. And, and they've got, certainly there's a lot of people with a lot of money that are willing to sponsor good mm-hmm. projects. Yeah. Yeah, this article points out that uh, the Cooperative Election Study, which is one of the largest studies of Latter-day Saints that's been consistent for years, that's the largest study that's available because the U.S. Census does not is not allowed to take religious data, unlike censuses, censuses from other countries, I'm not sure what the plural is, that do ask about religion. The U.S. Uh, uh, census cannot ask about religion, so we have to get it from another source. Mm. Now, the church, of course, has its own uh, you know, internal uh research department that sends out these type of qualitative and quantitative surveys to the members, but that is not generally released to the public. But what I'm hearing you say, Greg, while we wrap this up, what I'm hearing you, I think you say is that according to that survey, the lot for Latter-day Saints, church attendance is extremely important. They lead in how important the faith is, how important church attendance is. So perhaps not going to church during the pandemic would have a more significant impact on those people than others who, you know, they only go on Easter and Christmas. I think that's exactly right. You're right. That's going to have a greater impact. Let me, let me just add one more thing here that I, I, I have other sources for data on, on things like this that are pretty credible. And I, I think people would be astonished, well, not astonished, but it actually makes sense. If you look at the, the demographic of, of the young adult from 18 to 30, that information shows by far, I mean, it's not even close to the, to the demographic going after age 30, that that's where the, the biggest problem is for the church. And, and that they are, that the, the numbers are staggering, actually, um, of the, uh, you know, those that are, what, what are the numbers I'm talking about are inactivity. I mean, it's everything from inactivity to, you know, leaving the church. And, uh, to me, I think the number one reason for all of that is not the pandemic. I think that helps. I think that makes it, uh, or however you want to look at it, it's, it's a, it definitely impacts it. But I think the number one reason to me is identitarianism and the culture of identitarianism. And even, lo- even look at things like the like church history, you know, where you used to have Mormon stories and, and, and uh, these things on the Book of Abraham and how is it translated in the Book of Mormon and all these other things. For the older demographic, that still matters more. But for the younger demographic, that's only a secondary support to helping pull people away from the church. What is number one is identitarianism. It is the LGBTQ issues. It is race. Uh, even looking at church history is being done through a different filter. 
it's not the book of Abraham and the book of, you know, uh, the Mount Meadows Massacre or anything like that, right? It's, it's Joseph Smith's misogyny and patriarchy. Yeah. It's Brigham Young's racism, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's everything filtered through an identitarian issue first. Yeah. And then the other things kind of help support that. And so that's where I think, to me, that is, it's not the pandemic. Pandemics will come and go. To me, the major issue for the church is the 18 to 30 demographic and identitarian. I think you're right. And I think that when it comes to the 18 to 13 demographic, the, the best way to obviously, and this is well known, the best way to maintain those members is for those members to go on missions. That's how you convert that missionary. And the activity rate of someone who's a return missionary versus someone who doesn't go is like a night and day difference. Absolutely. And, and the church is, is losing missionaries. Right. You know, the, the percentage of people on a mission uh, peaked for the church. Al, we discussed this in one of our previous episodes. It peaked yes. in about 19, 1995 was the peak of all members going on missions. Uh, in the church, 0.6% of members were on a mission in 1995. That number today is 0.3%. So half is that, is of that the worldwide? Amount, yes. It, it's, okay. it's easy, Greg, to divide this. You take the total number of members, you just divide it by the number of mission, active missionaries, and you find mm-hmm. the percent. Sure. So that, that's an easy number for us to come up with. And it's 0.3%. So only, uh, you know, three out of every thousand members is on a mission right now. And that's that's pretty low. And that's one of the other reasons that we're seeing a non-retention rate. Would, would uh, you the, would you attribute that to, to more global growth or would you attribute that to just more more uh, young adults choosing not to go? That's in other words, if you've got if you're out in Africa and the Philippines mm-hmm. and you've got in other areas where the church is growing and there's a very it's, it's the church is not mature yet are you going to have mm-hmm. as many people in those areas go on missions um boy i i'm thinking that you probably got a bigger issue with uh uh the potential missionaries not want not serving themselves um i i see a lot of oh, at least you know with the social media uh, driven uh generation that there is a lot of uh, self-centeredness and I mean, uh, uh, and also a lack of commitment, I would think, um, that comes with, you know, getting uh, your next fix on social media, you know, with with every second, you know, I mean, they can handle 10 seconds of a TikTok, but yeah, two years of a commitment to go to serve a mission. That's, that's a big commitment. Yeah. I, I, I don't doubt that. Yeah. And our next article does not help with that particular discussion. And our next article um, is on uh, LDS Church Missionary Dies in Mexico Bike Accident. And this is on June 14, 2022, and it's on ABC4.com. Mm-hmm. So it's the type of – I don't know how much this particular article would have effect on somebody. But, uh, you know, our, first of all, our hearts go out to the family that is associated with uh, Elder Francisco René uh, Madrid, who died in Mexico City. You know, um, he did, he died from a bicycle injury despite wearing his helmet. He went down a, a ramp or a, a long street, and then he was not able to brake uh, properly, and he passed away. So our, our, our hearts go out oh, to no. his family, um, and, and that's a tra- tragic situation. Yeah. The, the reason, and unfortunately, this does happen. Uh, I don't have a lot of data on this, but it seems like it happens, I don't know, maybe once or twice a year that a missionary dies in a tragic way uh, like, like this. I don't have data mm-hmm. on that, but yeah. 
the reason that I bring this up is, first of all, uh, I was a missionary uh, on a bicycle for a couple of areas. I was a missionary. Actually, I live in the greater Washington, D.C. area, and I was called to the greater Washington, D.C. area. I live in the same area that I was a missionary. And in fact, I rode my bicycle around the streets that I currently live in right now, up and down all the time. So I was a bike. I was a bike missionary and I had a bicycle accident. I was uh, in front of a 7-Eleven. Someone came out of the 7-Eleven, uh, a lady, uh, and she hit me in her car. It was probably about 60% her fault, 40% my fault. It's just one of those things that happen. You really can't determine it. I got a major concussion. I woke up, didn't know where I was. I was in the hospital. Uh, Luckily, I've had no ill effects from that. But bike accidents, unfortunately, are all too common uh, from missionaries. It seems like, anecdotally, it seems like. Um, Did either of you ride bikes on your mission? Did you feel that it was a dangerous thing to do? Yes, I, I rode a bike on my mission. I went to Mexico City on my mission. Oh. Uh, and I rode those in the first portions of my mission. Um, I never felt it was dangerous. I did have a very bad accident. And I say bad, I mean, uh, I hit a pothole going down, down a hill. And uh, the, the handlebars actually broke off the frame. Oh. And, and my stomach went over the top of where it broke off, right? So I got, oh. I got all beat oh, up man. there. Um, but, uh, I never rode a bike after that, by the way, I, mm-hmm. I never, in, on my mission, I never rode a bike after that. I ended up just spending money on taxis cause they were so cheap. Uh, <laughs> and I, when I, cause I oh, wow. became a senior companion at that point, but yeah. I, I have a little different feeling on this one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel that, uh, I, I know there's accidents. I know there's problems. I, I feel that culture itself and including, and, and more, in fact, even more hyper in the church. Mm-hmm. We are moving to a safetyism culture where, where the, you know, if there's one little problem here or there, all of a sudden we can't let our kids go. You have our, you know, your eight-year-old kid is riding his bike around in your driveway and he has to have a helmet on. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you can't let your kid go to the park. And I, I, I just, it's, it's the whole Jonathan Haidt argument that I fully mm-hmm. agree with. I think that safetyism is causing a lot of the problems of what we have on campuses today. People are let out, you know, these, these kids are let out onto a campus. They haven't really been able to move beyond three feet from their parent. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I, I guess I would wonder how many deaths are there on bicycles as compared to say, for example, cars. And is that a big enough issue? I, I, I just worry about a safetyism culture. I, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. Uh, I, I do know that, um, there's a lot, uh, I guess it, it seems like, uh, there's a lot more severe injuries when it comes to car wrecks, um, just cause higher, uh, speeds and everything, mm-hmm. uh, bikes, um, you can get a pretty good amount of speed. I mean, obviously it's enough to kill this young man, uh, while he was serving his mission. Um, I mean, it can be dangerous, sure, uh, riding a bike, but it seems like your chances of surviving are a lot greater from a bike accident um, uh, than than a car accident. And, wait wait a minute. You think you, the odds are better for surviving a bike accident than a car accident? Is that what you're saying, Al? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I, I mean, that's kind of me shooting from the hip. I don't have anything to really back that up with. It just seems like the stories that I hear, um, you got a lot more people that will be that are still around to tell you about their bike accident than people uh, that are still around to tell you about their car accident. Yeah, I, I found some information from the Washington Post. It says nationwide, you're more than twice as likely to okay. die while riding a bike than riding a car per trip. 
So bike riding is about 500. This is from the article. Bike riding is also about 500 times more fatal than riding a bus. Um, so I said corrected. Uh, <laughs> I just think that riding, uh, I rode my bike a lot also on my mission. Mm-hmm. Also before my mission, when I was at BYU and even in my first couple of jobs, I was a big biker. So I, I'm a big bike fan. So I think... Look, if you're in New York City, you're you're a missionary in New York City, you're a missionary in Tokyo or, or in the Netherlands. There's no way that you need a car in most in some of those areas. But for the vast majority of missionaries, I, I look at the missionaries as the church's most sacred asset, not the widow's might. It's those young missionaries that are out there, uh, you know, out there every single day. So I just I, I pose the question, how many missionary lives could be saved by converting all or virtually all bike missions to cars? I don't know what the number is, but it seems like it would save lives. Uh, you, you bring up a really good uh, point there, especially with the, the statistics to back it up. I mean, yeah, uh, twice as many. Wow, that's, that's really significant. So um, I think that you know, the church would probably do well to uh, put more cars in missions. But I think that on the flip side, uh, the church will, I don't think the church will ever get rid of the bicycle. And the reason why is because it's so iconic. I mean, the the white shirts, the black name tags, the tie, uh, and the bike helmet riding a bicycle. That's, you know, that's the mark of the Mormon missionary as far as like uh, the perception goes. I just wonder if we're we're sacrificing like the proselytization. Yes, you get to see the Mormon missionary on a bicycle. He's instantly recognizable. People can really associate Mormons with that. Um, but I just wonder, are we sacrificing a few lives per year for that proselytizing effort? That that's just that's my only question that I have. And, and I just wonder if lives could be saved. That's all. Um, I think we I think we beat that one up pretty good. Uh, Greg. Uh, can you take us through the next article, which is the church's official Juneteenth message, uh, which they put out on Facebook? Yeah, so the church put out uh, a message on June 19th, Juneteenth, uh, about uh, Juneteenth. It's from Ronell. He is uh, not a GA or anything. He, but he's the <laughs> one that they've chosen to put the message out here. I like most of his message, and honestly, I like the message of Juneteenth. I believe for Juneteenth, I wish we would have had it right away. I wish this would have started in the 1860s. I don't think we were mature enough of a, as a nation to be able to do that at that point. Uh, we'd already caused you know a slight bit of division with the Civil War, but uh, I, I think that uh, I, I wish we would have had a, a greater focus on Juneteenth a long time ago. It's a great message, but the message includes not just those that suffered under slavery, which is the primary message, but you know there were a lot of people that died also in the Civil War uh, to make that change. And I wish that was a little bit more part of the message also. You know, Juneteenth is not something I don't believe, I, that I believe should be an American thing. It is an American thing. And we should all celebrate it, whether you're on the left, whether you're on the right. I think it's a great success overall for the United States. And so I think Juneteenth's a great thing. I'm glad the church supports it. Um, I, I wish there was a broader message that would have been, been put out on uh on Facebook, though, Greg, am I the only one who doesn't know who Ron L is? I'm, I'm. This is the church's official Facebook uh, page, and it's just the message here is brought to you by Ron L. I don't even have his last name. I, I'm sorry, I don't know who Ron L is. It's who, pretty who, interesting that they don't say who that is. I think I know who he is. I tried to get confirmation on this, but but I couldn't. So I don't want to. 
I don't want to put out my 90% assurity here of, of who I think he is, but, uh, uh, regardless, um, I, I, I do what I do like also, honestly, it's a mixed family. The picture portrait is a mixed family here. So you have, you have kids that are, uh, you know, they're part African-American, they're part white. You've got a mixed marriage, uh, here, a, a mixed race marriage. That to me is a very positive message. I, I think, and in and, and bringing everything together for June 19th. I do like that. Part of it. that in fact, as I'm thinking about it, that's, that's to me is the best message that, that is, it's better than the message that Ron L wrote. I agree. Uh, just having let me, the photo there. I, I agree. Uh, I just wondering why isn't a general authority giving the Juneteenth message? Uh, uh, am I just quibbling here or. I don't know. You know, I mean, do you, do you think it would be too like, like they think it's like a lightning rod, a political message or something or. Well, let me ask you, does, does, does the fact that this Juneteenth message come from the, the, the highest ranking, uh, who is the, high, you know, the, the, the person who is the highest ranking black member of the church and leadership would be Sister Brown. I guess if, if you want to, I don't know, Sister Browning from the primary. Is she the no, second counselor? No, you've got Brother Corbett, who's also in the Young Men's Presidency. Oh, okay. Uh, you also have um, a, a couple of, uh, well, I mean, there might not be American now that I think about it. They're African, maybe. Um, so I don't know. He might, you know, you want to distinguish that. You know, African American is not a race, and June Juneteenth is an American holiday. So you would want an African American. Yeah, two good uh, points. So that would eliminate some some members, uh, uh, some black members of the church that are general authorities. Uh, yeah, that, so one yeah, thing I don't I know. Did- one thing I want to discuss is, is from, the, from the message, it said, uh, quote, uh, this is from President Nelson in the message. Uh, I assure you that your standing before God is not determined by the color of your skin. Favor or disfavor with God is dependent on your devotion to God and his commandments and not the color of your skin, end quote. This always just reminds me, though, of uh, those nor- – I always come back to this – the North Centralese Islanders, you know, those guys who are in the middle of the, uh, the uh, Indian Ocean. This is one of the last large uncontacted uh, – tribes mm-hmm. it seems like their race the color of their skin does have a huge make, make a huge difference between their standing before god because they will never hear the message of, of jesus they will never hear the message of joseph smith during their life so literally their skin color their uh their location their skin color really for their for their entire lives their favor or disfavor with god is linked still with who they are, where they are, and what their skin is. Am I being too myopic here, or I, I don't see how that how their skin color is affecting that. That that seems geography to me. Yeah, the, uh, the, they. I, I think that a lot of their um, uh, they're not a their inability to hear the message of the gospel is uh, the fact that they throw spears and shoot arrows at any boat or uh, plane that comes anywhere near their dang island. Okay. And let's yeah, not maybe. forget that 99.9% of everyone that's ever lived on earth has mm-hmm. never heard the gospel. In fact, they've that's, never even heard of Jesus Christ. That's true. Okay. 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 I do want to say, yes, I think, let me just say one last thing. And that's that I, I agree with you, Greg, that this is nice to see a mixed family uh, being mm-hmm. put forward by the church in an, in an official capacity. But it does remind me of uh, the Brigham Young statement back in uh, March 8th, uh, 1863, quote, Shall I tell you the law of God in, in regards to the African race? If the white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, the penalty under the law of God is death on the spot. This will always be so. End yeah. quote. So there's just been a lot of statements from previous uh, leaders of the church that said that mixed race marriages, even as uh, or even as soon as Joseph Fielding Smith said that mixed race marriages was, and I, I think maybe even President Benson 
all the way that that was a big no-no. Now we're seeing that as a 180. Yep. So that's a good yeah. step forward. Yeah, and there and in that case, then skin color definitely was uh, was a factor. Mm-hmm. No question. Very well. Very well. Uh, let's let's continue on. We've got to keep this uh, episode to less than an hour and a half. So let's keep on. Mm-hmm. Let's keep on the truck. There's a lot of news to cover, Al. Yeah, I, I've got uh, three articles on this one, and I'm going to just leave them in the show notes. I'll uh, refer to uh, mostly from the Deseret News, although this did also come straight from the the newsroom from the LDS Church. Um, but the Deseret News, Tad Walsh, June 22nd, uh, title of this is Latter-day Saint Leaders Reduce Watering at Temples, Meeting Houses in the American West During a Drought. So this is the church's efforts to uh, help stave off the drought or help um, adjust to the, the waning water availability in the West. And uh, they've decided um, across the board that they're going to start letting uh, certain buildings go. Uh, lawns go brown and dormant um and also they're making efforts to make the uh church buildings and the temples more oh uh what would you say efficient with their water uh with their water uh fixtures so they're using you know uh less water they're using uh different uh things within the buildings so if there is a water uh line that breaks then it will curb the ability of that to cause a flooding problem so uh, the church is making some really good efforts with regards to, um, let's say, can you call churches, would that be commercial zoned? Uh, because it doesn't really seem like it's commercial. But I mean, with their commercial buildings anyway, they're, they're trying to help do their part by saving water. Um, now, with regards to agriculture, agriculture is kind of the main uh, use, water user in the United States. Um, they didn't make any uh, references to that. This is just about uh, church buildings and temples specifically, but they're willing to let the, the temple long go brown if it, uh, a lot, if it helps save some water. So that's good. Yeah, I think this is a great step forward. We were pretty critical of the church a couple of weeks ago where um, it seemed like the church wasn't, uh, hasn't taken a lot of steps uh, towards preserving the climate, global warming, and things along those lines, uh, reducing the impact on the earth. But it seems like the church has really taken a step forward. I, I can't remember something like this happening in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. This is a, a, a pretty good thing. And uh, I know that like they've clamped down on us uh, in the West here about um, how much water we're using. Um, and I, you know, I just lo- looked at the, uh, there is a, um, a, a map on there that shows the United States and what the drought status is. And it seems like there's this big sweep from about Oregon down across California, across Nevada, which is, you know, just all desert. Um, even, uh, parts of Arizona, not all of Arizona, but there are parts of Arizona over to New Mexico, um, a big swath across Utah and Wyoming that are in pretty severe drought conditions. Um, and then you get to like the Midwest where there's tons of rivers and there's not a, a drought problem at all. So I personally would like to see a big pipe system go across the entire United States where you've got flooding areas that can have pumps that turn on and pipe all that water over to, uh, areas that are more dry and droughted than, you know, and, and vice versa, just kind of move the water around to where it's needed and, uh, from away from where there's too much of it. Uh, that yeah, seems the, like an, the drought has been a problem I and mean, I'm around, I'm here in Arizona we're over, mm-hmm. we, you know, we see we have a lot of lakes. We've got the Colorado River coming down here through Grand mm-hmm. Canyon. Yeah, you've got Lake Mead over in uh, in uh, over outside of Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, these 
these lakes, Lake Powell, I mean, for years now, these things have been dropping. Yeah. You, 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 you find, they found dead people. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like me, that was exciting. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> these, these line, these, the, the, the water line just mm-hmm. every, it seems every year it gets lower and lower. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it is a concern. I, I, I think it's, uh, I, in fact, I don't know why it's not a bigger concern, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, water is kind of important, and yeah, to uh, everybody. To, yeah, to the whole the, these, yeah, these this is, you know, our main reservoirs are are, are pretty low. Yeah, it's going to be an amazing thing to me for me to see uh, one of these temple lawns. I, I don't know, just take the Provo Temple. If that mm-hmm. Provo Temple lawn, all the flowers die and it goes totally brown, mm-hmm. that's going to be an amazing thing to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know that. Like within um, Main Street Plaza, where. You know, they took that chunk of Main Street between the temple and the church office building. They had that huge fountain there. Well, they've taken that fountain out right now. And the reason why is because, yeah, it was actually leaking down into the the parking garage below. So they've taken that out. They said that they're going to, instead of replace the fountain, the fountain uses a ton of water and a lot of that just evaporates as it does with any fountain. But they're going to replace that with a big... um, uh, a, a whole bunch of flagpoles with different flags from around the world where the church is growing and uh, doing well. So I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how that changes the face of Temple Square along with the other renovations that they're doing. But the church at least is uh, seems to be going the right direction and being responsible. Yeah, big kudos, and that that's a big kudos to them. And and you know the Provo Temple is not the only temple that's in the news uh, for for these. Uh, uh, another another ground. Uh, uh, sorry, another article that we want to talk about talks about the ground broken for the second temple in Orange County, the Yorba Linda California Temple, and this was put out on the churchnews.com dot com on June nineteenth, twenty twenty two, and uh, the. There's we you haven't really covered a lot of temple openings in this podcast. We we are on episode what what episode is this again? Episode thirteen. Uh, I think we've only covered one or two of the temple openings so far during this podcast, and that's the reason is because they're not necessarily news. You have a lot of temples that are being announced, and um, I, I don't think any temple opening in and of itself is newsworthy. The reason that I wanted to bring this temple up is this is the first temple outside the Pioneer Corridor. That's you know Utah, Idaho, and and Arizona that has two temples in the same county. And obviously Orange County, California, that's a that's a really big county. How many how many people live in Orange County, Greg? You're you're from uh there, aren't you? I, I don't know. Millions. Yeah, it's gotta be it's gotta be upwards of seven, ten million. It's yes. it's a really populous place. I, I saw a graphic that said that Orange County, if if it, if it was its own state, it'd be in the top ten number of states in the United States for population. I mean there's just a lot of people that live hmm. there. I believe it. And, and the reason I brought this up is because of uh, the dedication of this uh, temple. Normal, a, a lot of times you have apostles that do dedications, but this one, it was an area authority. Elder uh, Bragg gave the temple dedication in this, Elder Mark A. Bragg. And I want to highlight one thing that he said that caught my eye in this article. And this is from our show notes here. And it's, quote, it is unique and a manifestation of the growth of the church in this part of the Lord's vineyard. And, quote, Elder Bragg said of the second temple in uh, Orange County. And I really thought about that. And I said, a manifestation of the church's growth. And let me just go through a couple of the numbers here, because when I think of growth, I think of the number of members in the area. I, 
maybe I'm looking at this wrong, but I think of the number of members in that area. Well, the thing about it is that in California, California has the lowest rate of church membership growth. In fact, over the course of the last few years, California has ranked uh, lowest in the United States for church growth at negative 2.84%, the lowest of any state in the United States. In 2018, the growth rate was negative 0.81. In 2017, it's negative 0.55 and so forth and so on. Uh, no area in the world has seen a less members, has seen a more drastic decrease of members than California. And specifically around this Orange County area, the Placentia California State closed in 2020, the Harupa Valley California State closed in 2021, Torrance California State closed in 2019, and a bunch of other stakes also closed or were combined together. Now, in California in 1995, there was 162 stakes. Now in California, there's 147 stakes. So it's just, I, I, I'm a little bit puzzled. I, I need you guys to help me out. I'm a little bit puzzled when he said, quote, it is a unique and a manifestation of the growth in the church in this part of the Lord's Vineyard, end quote, when that area is massively hemorrhaging members. Yeah, my, my thought on this was, I don't know what Elder Bragg's reason is for, you know, for saying growth, but Orange County is a very, very wealthy place. And, and your Belinda is pretty well off uh, as a city and, and that area around there. Um, I, I wonder if, because I, I, I want to separate what he's saying with, with reality here. And why are you, why is the temple being built, period? Is it because there's no members? Well, it doesn't, or more members, it doesn't look that way, right? So, so what would right, drive yeah. another temple to be built in, in Orange County? Because it's not, I mean, it's, unless it's during rush hour, you're talking about 20, 25 minutes away from maybe 30 minutes away from the Newport Beach Temple yeah. in, a, in a drive. And so uh, the only thing I can think of is, is tithing money. And that, you know, you've got, that's an area where a lot of people have to move out of. They, they end up moving to other city places like Utah and, um, and Idaho and, and Texas and other places because they've got so much equity in their homes. Yeah, and they move. And, and then the people that are moving in are people that can afford those payments, those new payments at a newly, a new, a higher price in those homes. So, so maybe the tithing is actually increasing a little bit. Could be. Okay. So you're saying here, Greg, if I hear you correctly, you're saying that the manifestation of the growth is not a manifestation of the growth of new members, but maybe a manifestation of the growth of the church in tithing or in a convert baptisms or in like full-time missionaries or some other manifestation of growth. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, I, I don't know what the, the demographic requirements are for a new temple. I will say, I think there's some politics sometimes that go on with that. You know, hey, we really want a temple out here. We've got a large number of people that, that uh, you know, are paying a large number of, a number of dollars in tithing. And, and mm -hmm. I, I know that goes on somewhat. You know, we sure, really want to yeah. bring a temple here to Yorba Linda, for example. Yeah, catering but, to the But I to think the there's got to sure. be some other requirements there. You know, what, what about priesthood? I, I don't know. Is, is there a priesthood requirement for, like we have in a stake, for an award? Is there is there a priesthood requirement for a temple being built? I well, would think there'd have to be. So there's some other demographics there that maybe aren't meshing perfectly with the number of members. Uh, yeah, there could be other factors. We don't. Uh, and that's all I was. I was just wonder. You know, we've had a massive push for new temples, and uh, some of them we discussed this before seem to be in places that 
uh, are either in declining in growth or uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, the, the, the temple that's already there is really not full. It's not, you know, overtaxed. And so I just wonder, why are these new temples being built? And we covered this before, Al, that the cost of a new temple, according to the Widow's Might Report, which I think is about the best estimate that you can give for a new temple, this <laughs> this new temple is going to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $60 million. It's a 60,000 square foot building. It's going to cost about a thousand uh, $1,000 per square foot. Just do the math. It's a $60 million building. So I yeah. just wonder, uh, why is it being built in a place in which the membership is in the single in, in perhaps the single location in the world that has the most declining uh, membership in the world is perhaps right around there. Why then is it being built there? I'm just I just wonder. That's that's all. Yeah. You kind of answered it, Greg. But no, that's a good I guess- question. It's a good question. I, yeah. I, again, I think there might be other things, other factors that are playing in there, but it's a good question. If, if membership mm-hmm. is dropping in the area, why is there a new temple being built there? Yeah, and your theory is the one that makes most sense to me, Greg. So yeah, appreciate that perspective. Yeah, I think uh, so. What I heard Greg say, maybe okay. And this is this. Uh, we're all ruminating on the great and spacious beehive. But if you did have, you know, a Marriott type person, a Huntsman type person, a big couple of big time tide playing families that were in Orange County, big time millionaires, big time tech billionaires, and mm-hmm. they said, hey, you know, we they went to their area authority and say we'd really like to have a temple. We're paying a lot of money. Could could that push a temple over the finish line? I, I don't know. That's I know I'm really speculating here, but I guess it's possible. I don't doubt it. Uh, our next article is uh, LDS uh, Church. Uh, is There's a new link here, and this is in our show notes as well. By the way, uh, if you've made it this far, please drop us a like. Drop us a subscription. You can also head on over to uh, patreon.com and unlock some bonus content. Uh, and You could make a donation there if you feel like it. Our next article is on an LDS uh, class action lawsuit, which uh, is is you know, you can turn on the TV and you can see this uh, going forward. I'm trying to open the link. Sorry, my computer is being very slow. But this is uh, the LDS Church lawsuit advertisement popped up on the TV. So the phone number here, I, I don't. I think we can just go ahead and read it out, is 1-800-545-9237. Uh, and I went ahead and called that number just to see what would happen. Now, a, a short story, a little story about myself. When I was uh, growing up, I was in the Boy Scouts, you know, and that was a church-sponsored event back when I grew up. Now, I was never sexually abused in the church, but on uh, one scouting campout, we I had a scouting leader who talked a couple of times to me uh, about my penis in a very awkward, awkward way. Um, now, he never touched me. He never sexually abused me. And it was uh, only a couple of times that it happened. And then at the end of the campout, he took me off to the side uh, and said, look, I apologize. I was out of line. Uh, please forgive me. And nothing ever became of it. So I, I was never sexually abused. And so uh, anyone who is uh, should certainly take that very seriously. And what I want to talk about is this number. So I went ahead and called the number. This number is like a repository. The person who answered the other line is like a repository for all of these other class action lawsuits. So everyone, all of these law firms that want a class action lawsuits, whether it's mesothelioma, whether it's, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, somehow you were defrauded or, or hurt by the government in some way or, or whatever it is, they all go to this number. Then that the person on the other end uh, takes all of the, all of the information of the people who call in and give it to the appropriate law firm who builds the roles for these big class action lawsuits. So yeah, she said, Hey, do you want to file a claim? I'm going to ready to take your number and I will pass it on to another law firm. Um, do you think anything's going to become of this, uh, Greg or Al? Uh, what do you think, Greg? I don't know. I, it's, 
I, I think that this is a popular thing as far as mm-hmm. talking about uh, sexual abuse within within uh, different religious sects. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that, that something like that could happen. Uh, I mean, the, all they're doing is it's a numbers game, right? They they get yeah. enough numbers in this, and then they can push it forward. Uh, usually, the church, I think, likes to settle on these things and. Yeah, they they seem to the church does seem to take a, well, a case by case basis and settle outside of court and and every single time it seems that there's an NDA involved with a non disclosure mm-hmm. agreement. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so if you think back to the Boy Scout laws, uh, the the Boy Scout law uh, lawsuits, uh, the church settled that for I, I'm pretty sure it was 250 million dollars, and there was about three different law firms that had all gathered up all of these class action uh, folks. It, one of them had I think it was about 50 thousand, another one had like 20, and another one had like 10, and they. You know these these law firms want to get as many litigants as possible so that they mm-hmm. can put as much pressure on these organizations as possible. And now that the churches has paid out the Boy Scout, uh, you know they the, the word on the street is they actually dipped into Enzyme Peak to pay that Boy Scout lawsuit. And now that you know these law firms have seen that the church A has very deep pockets, B is willing to settle these things rather quickly. I think you're going to see a lot of these type of things pop up. Very possible. Yeah, uh, I, you got to think about what precedent you're setting. Yeah, the the only thing that I think is we we might not see it because, like like I said, the church likes to put it away quietly. Yeah, True. That's, that's definitely possible. Um, so you know, for anyone who's been affected, uh, we you know, uh, yeah, please contact the number. Uh, you know, obviously we want only legitimate uh, people to uh, to to if something legitimately happened, then you should be. Uh, you should be a part of that. Um, so, you know, that, that's all we need to say about that. Uh, our yep. next article, Al, is on Keep Sweet, uh, uh, Pray and Obey. Though We're going to wrap it up, the final episodes. Yep, we are going to wrap it up. Um, I'm going to pajiba.com for uh, this one. It, uh, links also in the show notes. The final two episodes of Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey, where we see Warren Jeffs become the, like, we see the true monster come out of, of Warren Jeffs. And uh, that's what, what's made this such an interesting show to watch and to follow is you've got all these like innocent young children and these people who are um, what kind of Mennonite-ish, real sweet and, um, and very ultra-religious, hardworking, very virtuous people that have, um, you know, kind of segregated to themselves and their own community and then it all came to a head and, and they uh, pulled the curtain back and we saw that, no, this isn't uh, a, an innocent little, uh, you know, community at all. In fact, this is basically basically a lot of human trafficking going on there and that Warren Jeffs was um, running the whole show. And not, not just that, but like you got a lot of uh, um, abuse, sexual abuse, um, a lot of coercion. And uh, this article that's in the show notes, um, you ought to read through it. It's, uh, it talks about, you know, when it comes to true crime, how does this relate to keep sweet, pray, and obey? Um, and this kind of uh, runs along this, the same lines as another Netflix original, um, the, Keep, the Keepers, that was about uh, this nun that was murdered uh, for trying to protect people or children from abuse within the Catholic church. And uh, that one caused a huge stir at the time. This is another similar one 
where at the time, uh, let's see, Oprah did a, a an interview with a lot of these mothers that had their kids taken away from them uh, down at the, the compound in um, El Dorado, Texas. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of just weeping mothers go on there saying, oh, they've taken our kids from us. Well, uh, what we come to find in Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey is that the um, FLDS church had already established a pattern with taking children away from mothers and reassigning them to other mothers and, you know, taking wives from their their husband that they were first assigned to and because the husband wasn't uh, what, involved enough with the church or wasn't, as, um, you know, as, as friendly towards uh, the church uh, leader, Warren Jeffs. And he would take their wives and reassign them to other husbands. I mean, so there was a lot of this going on. But boy, you know, they knew how to play on the hearts, the heartstrings of uh, the community at large. And you know, yeah, there was a lot of mothers out there that their hearts were just broken, saying, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe that they would take these children away from their mothers. They're innocent little sweet mothers that just you know want to, you know, get them up in the morning, make them some pancakes, and you know, go and play with them all day or whatever." That's not what this was at all. <laughs> and uh, we come to find that. Also, we come to find, and uh, I, I'm not going to dwell too much on uh, the the particulars, but I think that this show ended as perfectly uh, as I could have ever imagined any show to end um, with one of these girls that had been a victim saying that her she was leaving the community her brother was driving a truck in front of them, towing a trailer that was full of her stuff. And she was driving along behind them. She saw the trailer door fly open and all of her stuff started tumbling out onto the highway. And she lost everything. And she realized, I'm going to have to start all over. And But all the stuff that she had was, you know, prairie dresses, handmade shoes, um, long underwear, you know, th this is all stuff from her previous life. And so what it told me is that anybody that was a victim of that community that's trying to leave it and start over really does have to start over with nothing uh, because that's how entrenched Warren Jeffs had made it. He, you know, it, it, under Rulon at the, in the first episode, we find that, yeah, you could, you know, as long as you were modestly dressed and covered, you could wear whatever you want, even wear pants if you were a girl. But under Warren, yeah, everything yeah, changed. Mean Episode four was probably the best episode of the series. I, you know, it just really pulls at the heartstrings. Greg, did you watch the series? What did you think of it? And specifically, what is your reaction to episodes three and four? You know, I did watch the series. I I don't know why I've got a, a, a strange mind. I love these things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I love watching these cultish things because I love okay. watching the psychology of the individuals yeah. and the sociology of the group and how that interacts with the state. When does the state step in? You've got di the dynamic of religious... Uh, liberty uh, that, that is a, a, certainly a, a very important thing for Latter-day Saints and the history that we've had in the past. And, and then lining that up with kind of what you see there. And at the same time, I think, uh, Al, you're exactly right. That, you know, the power that Jeff's has over every one of these individuals puts this beyond the pale yeah. uh, with his ability to move wives around, take children. Um, you are at, at completely his disposal. Mm -hmm. especially well, as, as a man or a woman, you're completely at his disposal. He, he gets rid of the boys because you can't have a polygamous society, uh, you mm -hmm. know, with, with, with the equal amount of men and women. Um, he takes the children to Zion, 
takes him in the middle of the night. And then, and then you, it, it builds this currency of trafficking young women. And because that's what the issue is, you have to have three wives in their religion to get to the celestial kingdom. And, and so if you've only got two, you know, you better be sucking up a little bit more to Warren Jeffs in order to get that third wife, or it's not going to happen. Just yeah. there's so much power put in the place of one man. It's very disturbing. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. This is a five-star series for anybody out there. I really cannot highly recommend it more. It's a must watch. You can sit and, and binge the whole thing. It's really, really a great series, regardless of whether you've never been a member of the church or Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, whether you're, uh, you know, w- whether you are a member, whether you're an ex-member, it, it's really compelling. Uh, it, it just makes for great TV. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it makes for great TV. Yes, it does. And, and we've got two articles left here. And uh, Greg, I understand uh, the BYU is being banned from the NCAA for sexual orientation discrimination. What? What's going on there? <laughs> yeah, is so there true? is a, a petition on, on change.org to uh, ban, uh, get the support to ban BYU from the NCAA. This is not a surprise. This might have been up here for a while because they've got uh, the commissioner on here is listed as the previous, I think, commissioner who was replaced, I think, last summer, even the beginning of last year. But uh, they've got 25,000 signatures on here. And, you know, this is, this is an interesting thing. Again, going into the, the, the dynamics of the BYU campuses, where is this going to lead? You had Elder Holland last summer talk specifically about accreditation and keeping the university as mostly primarily focused on undergraduate because you go into graduate schools, you're going to run into that much more of a problem with accreditation and, and the ability for students even to get into other graduate schools. And so, you know, how this works is not only does BYU have to be accredited, and the reason I bring up the accreditation is because the accrediting organizations are the ones that are making the recommendations, for example, with LGBTQ issues. And so within each department, I believe it is, it's not just the schools, I think it's within each department of, of the university and then the university as a whole, they have to go through the accreditation process. Usually well, these organizations are making recommendations. Okay, this looks great, but over the next six to seven years, which is about the life cycle of your accreditation in your department, you've got to be able to make these changes and we're going to stay in correspondence with you. We want to see more diversity, equity, and inclusion. We want to see more uh, support for the LGBTQ community, right? All these things are happening. We want to see changes in your mission statements, etc. And so what Elder Holland said last summer was, look, we may have to give up accreditation. That's a possibility. We're not going to change the mission of the church and the mission of BYU. And and if this comes to a head, then we're going to have a change here. But this is a lot of what pushes BYU to to move towards some things that the church is not supportive of. Is this accreditation? If you're a department head at BYU and and you're you're getting, you know, you can't how do you hire university professors? that are worth their salt, right, into a program that is not going to be accredited? And how do you go through it as a student if you want to go on to be go through graduate school and they're not going to accept you into a Stanford or wherever it might be into, in graduate school because the department and school that you came out of is either not accredited or it's accredited by a very low-level accreditation organization. Very true. So, so there's a very strong dynamic that is playing there. And this is something I try to tell my listeners, you know, when I, when I do go after PYU, it's like, look, there are so many things at play here. It's not just a matter of why don't the, uh, why don't the brethren just fire these professors? It's, that's such a small problem compared to the larger issue of the religion of academia and, and the pressures to, 
to make these changes at BYU. Yeah, I think I think we can safely say that uh, BYU getting the boot from the NCAA is uh, probably one of the least of the concerns. It's the accreditation that is much more uh, yes. a bigger concern. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily that every department um, uh, has to go through accreditation because some departments are accredited and some aren't. So, it, you know. If you go through a psychology department or if you go through a soci- some of the sociology departments or some of the other, you know, uh, department social work and things like that, those are accredited by outside accrediting agencies. And if BYU's conduct, especially when it comes towards LGBTQ students, if they view BYU's policies and conduct towards LGBTQ students as being in uh, arrears or in that it does not conform to proper professional uh, ethics and guidelines for those uh, particular programs, they could lose that accreditation. And that's a really big deal. That's right. And, mm-hmm. and, that, and I think it will come to a head. And I think that's what Elder Holland is saying, right? We're not going to, we're yeah. not going to change the mission of BYU. You look at something like a Hillsdale College, mm-hmm. which is accredited, but it's accredited by a low level accreditation uh, organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going there as a student, you may, you're not going to plan on going to you know, a, an Ivy League school or Stanford or some of the higher end graduate schools yeah. uh, be, because you, you probably won't get in. You, you, you've got a lot of force against you to be able to get into those graduate schools. Mm-hmm. Right. That really reduces the p- potential, uh, you know, a diploma from BYU in years to the future could be worth a lot less than it is now. And that's including, B- I'm a BYU graduate. That includes me because if mm-hmm. BYU loses accreditation of regional accreditation or even departmental accreditation, it yeah. will water my degree down or anyone who's gone to BYU, that degree will be worth a lot less. That's correct. Yeah, this could I be. I agree with that. A lot going on there. Problems. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I like what you said, Greg, about how BYU may focus more on undergraduate because the undergraduate programs are not necessarily as strictly accredited as the graduate level ones. Well, and they're not as they're not they're they're not as monitored with with the type. Of, I mean, once if you're a student, you've gone through graduate school, you know immediately the change, especially if you're in the humanities. You go to graduate school in the humanities, then then everything changes. You are into identitarianism in a major way, a very, very strong critical social justice agenda. You see it from the day you walk in. And, and so that's where the church is going to have some issues more than what they're going to have with the undergraduate. There's, it's just, it's just a different level of, of, of pressure to make these changes. Um, once you get into the graduate schools. Yeah, absolutely. And for our listeners out there, we're on Facebook at uh, uh, facebook.com backslash Mormon News Roundup. We're also on YouTube. Uh, our sponsor, by the way, is signaturebooks.com. And our music is provided by weirdalma.bandcamp.com. And our uh, link to uh, quick media is in the show notes. And this does bring us to our final epi- uh, our final article. Yeah, uh, this one, I'm, I'm the movie buff here, so I'm going to head up this one, uh, where we have a new um, LDS-based um, television series. It's now, uh, this one's on Hulu, just like Under the Banner of Heaven was. This one's called Mormon No More, and um, it's... Uh, it's not. It's not as uh, good as I, as I expected. They they have a story here that surrounds um, two faithful LDS women who grew up um, in the church. Both of them. Well, let's see. I guess the the one uh, was a convert from later on. Lena uh, Sally was born in the covenant, but Lena converted when she was eighteen. Um, they 
I'm not sure if they were even really so much aware of their sexuality growing up um, because they were so heavily indoctrinated into, well, you know, uh, two, two genders, two sexes, uh, you know, only one way to, to live. And that's, you know, a heterosexual lifestyle. So um, it wasn't until, let's see, Sally was in her thirties. I think she was 33 when she met Lena and, um, their story is that they had firework sparks that just, uh, they had this uh, blossoming romance while they were both married and had children. I think that but between the two of them, they, they have, I think, eight kids. Uh, yeah, I, I think mean, so. Yeah. Um, and these these women just decide, well, we're, uh, we're in love. So I've never felt this way about my husband. Let's uh, leave our husbands and get divorced and we'll get remarried. And we'll just take all of our kids and be a big happy family. And the the interesting thing about all this is that the husband, Lena's husband, seemed like he was on board, that he was okay with it. He was supportive, and he's like, "Yeah, okay, you know, I'm I'm woke. I'm I'm with the culture." Uh, you... he, he said that it broke his heart, but then he uh, eventually yeah. resigned to his fate. Yeah, uh, because I mean, let's face it. These the conversation that these uh, ladies had with their husbands, it was not a discussion; it was an informing. Um, and uh, Sally's husband, I really feel for the poor guy. He's he still really struggles because he, I mean, he was head over heels in love with her. This was the love of his life that was telling him, "Well, I'm in love with Lena now." So. He says, well, what does that mean? And she says, I think, you know, it means, you know, this is a divorce. And he's like, so, you know, now we're going to have a divorce and there's not a dang thing that he can do about it. He doesn't get a say or anything. Yeah. Paul and Lena's relationship is still pretty good, but Sally and Shane's relationship is really quite bad. Mm -hmm. You know, and what I didn't expect from this episode that it spent about 40% of the time following Matt Easton, the former BYU valedictorian. It told Mm -hmm. some of his uh, story after he was the valedictorian. It spent about 40% of the episode on him, which I I did not expect that. No. And and you know what? I actually liked his story better because, I mean, as far as Sally and Lena goes, it's not a great story as far as I'm concerned. It's just there's a lot more damage there. And I I mean, this is... Matt's story involves a suicide, and I still think that there's more like uh, far-spreading damage between the relationships that these girls had um, or these ladies had with their husbands than uh, Matt Easton's story. But his story is the compelling one. His actually brought me to tears when he was talking to um, his uh, former classmate's dad. Oh and, my gosh! Oh, it's just a heart wrencher. Oh wow, such heart, you know, just heartbreaking. Yeah. Absolutely breaks your heart. Greg, did you catch the episode? What did you think of it? I did catch the episode. Uh, I agree with Al completely on this. I I, I preferred the Matt Easton portion of this. Uh, the, what I don't like on the other side was, you know, it's like a lot of these things. It, it seems to me like it just, and perhaps I'm just offensive, but. It seemed to me like there was a real agenda on this. These, this is more of a reality show, almost. Yeah, it feels and, like a reality and, show. Yeah, it's like a reality show, but they're not really reality shows, right? It's, no, I, I, I don't discount uh, Lena and Sally's feelings, right, uh, or, or anything mm-hmm. like that. But, but I do discount 
the the process of creating these types of reality shows. Yeah, it, they're they're going to have a story and a narrative that they're going to set up before they ever start filming. Yeah, and, and, and so, so they're going to make the right cuts and they're going to they're going to position the parents in a certain way, which they actually did a fairly good job on, mm-hmm. I thought. But they, but, they tried. <laughs> uh, I didn't like the storyline so much, and I don't I, honestly, as a guy, I don't like the way they treated the guys. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't like I don't like the emphasis that was placed on it. It was. And I understand it's the girl's story, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. about the two women. Yeah. But uh, um, I, I understand Shane's problems here. Yeah, I mean, th- there's if, no if, consideration if his for wife, him. Sally, left for another man. Yeah. And, 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 and he's not being involved in going to their house all the time for these events for the family. We, we would say, well, of course he's not. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So okay. I, does, it, does it really make a big difference because it's a woman she's with? Right? There, there's a lot of things that are going on there that I think they could have they could have brought out that would make it more compelling. Okay, Greg, you, you sounds like you say that the, is it Sally and Alina that have the agenda or is it the show producers that have the agenda? Who has got the agenda here? I think it's the producers more than Sally and Alina. And what I do you do. think their, what is their agenda here? I, I, th- I think it's, I, I don't know this, but I, I'm going to guess that there is some ex-Mormonism going on here with the producers and others, similar to the banner of heaven. Uh, and banner, yeah, the banner of heaven, and and that they're trying to form. I mean, the whole thing to me is about liberation of sexuality, mm-hmm. right? And 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 it's contrasting the the um, you know tightening of the screws with the church down on these things and not being able to be liberated, and, and with with the liberation of being gay on the other end. And I just don't find that. I I don't think that there's a lot of truth in in some of that. The way that they're portraying it. Uh, and, and so I felt that there was really an agenda by the producers to, to create that, to create that, that conflict more than than I think what actually may have existed. And now that both of you have commented, I I actually, what you're saying actually resonates with me. And maybe that's because I'm rather, you know, patriarchal myself. I'm a male and maybe it is that the Matt Easton did resonate more because I am a male. So maybe we should have gotten, maybe we should have gotten a woman on that for (laughs) this guest episode to get a better view. So not sure. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Greg, are you going to watch the rest of this, of the series or what, uh, what are you going to do? I have, I have half an episode to go. I think there's four episodes. Mm -hmm. So uh, what is your rating on this on stars? What do they rate things out of four stars? Is that a good movie? What what is your star rating? Well, I'd rate Banner a half. So I guess I'd put this at about (laughs) one and a half. (laughs) Okay. Real quick. What about Keep Sweet? How many stars does that get? I'd I'd put that up at three and a half to four. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That that one's really well made. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, And and that one's a story worth telling. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Greg, I want to I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I want to, uh, like I said, I give a testimonial. I watched uh, some of your uh, uh, lectures, and like I said, cannot recommend you highly enough. Really gr- grateful that you came onto the uh, program to ruminate on the spacious bee, uh, great and spacious beehive with Alan and myself. And you're welcome to come back anytime. Hey, really appreciate the invite, guys. Yep, please come back. All right, I think uh, that does it for this week's episode. So we'll go ahead and uh, play you out with our favorite Weird Alma. And uh, we'll see you guys next week for more more Mormon News Roundup. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Please allow me to introduce myself. 
I'm a being with no moral constraints My number one goal is to hurt The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints 